Catholic talk show. Today, we're going to be interviewing Sister Beata Victoria from the Sisters of Life in New York. That's right. We're going to take a look at the charism of the sisters, how they're helping to defend the unborn, and how men have a stake in the game, too, and how we as Catholics should respond to these pro-life movements. As we near the anniversary, regrettably, of Roe v. Wade, what an appropriate conversation to have, and we want you to be a part of it. Sister Beata, welcome to the show. Thank you, Father. Sister, thanks for joining us today on this episode. Really excited to talk to you and hear more about the Sisters for Life. Uh, I should be corrected. They were founded in New York, but now they've spread everywhere. So we should uh, <laughs> mention that too. That's right. And Sister, yeah, thank you for joining us. And particularly at this time, because I know that uh, your work in the field of defending life has been really momentous with the whole, uh, with all the sisters, but particularly coming up, you know, with the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, with the March for Life and then with Life Fest that the sisters are participating in and helping to put on, I think it's a great time for us to have this discussion. And, you know, in the post Roe v. Wade world, a lot of people can say, well, that battle's kind of been won and they maybe have a little bit of fatigue from having fought for so long. Mm -hmm. But the point I think that people need to consider is that really the battle has just begun because it is now more important than ever to to instill a culture of life in people's hearts. I mean, laws on a book, on a piece of paper are one thing, and it's definitely necessary to fight it in a legislative manner, but the heart is the most important thing. And I think your work, I think, can really show how that heart can lead to a true love for all people from natural birth to natural death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, Ryan. And I'm, I'm grateful that you bring that up, that um, actually, our charism as Sisters of Life, um, which sometimes we get that Sisters for Life, it's actually Sisters of Life. Oh, sorry, um, but my our, our charism is, um, yeah, to proclaim this truth that every human life is made good and is made sacred and in the image and likeness of God. And so really, um, yeah, our, our whole work is all about creating a culture of life, which John Paul II was kind of the one who coined that term, the culture of death. And so what is the antidote to that? To create a culture of life. Amen. Um, and so, yes, that, that legislation, all of these things are very important. But like you're saying, you know, it's been a long battle. Many hearts are very weary. Um, but that ultimately, yeah, this is this is a battle that's that's won by building a culture of life and moving forward in love and in hope um, to inspire hearts to continue to proclaim that truth that every life is is made good. Sister, it has been such a joy to walk with all of you over the many years traveling to D.C. for the March for Life. I have admired your charism. I've admired your work and what a joy to have you on the show today. And I think what, what Sheil and what you're hitting on sister Beata is, you know, the sense of the human heart and the battle just beginning and in the pastoral ministry that I've been so privileged and humbled to be a part of, you know, realizing that until we're, we're getting closer to 50 years of the decision of Roe v. Wade and how many millions of children have never had the opportunity to express their charism and their dignity in the world because their life was cut short in the womb, mm -hmm. in the most vulnerable state. And, you know, realizing not only the importance of promoting a culture of life, but also responding to the broken hearts of men and women who have participated in abortions. Mm -hmm. I try to never speak about abortion unless I am speaking to the hearts of people that have already decided to have an abortion years ago. And I have always invited in every respect, someone who has participated in or uh, has, has executed a, an abortion before uh, to be able to come and, and seek healing. Um, and I think that's a part of it too, because you know, recognizing the dignity of the human heart and recognizing the value of the other um, has to be predicated with also the sense of one's own dignity before God, you know, to come to know that and to be able to extend that to in love of neighbor. Um, that's like the metanoia that needs to happen 
in life. And I know that your work is is culturing that metanoia, that realization of what the human person is in the eyes of God and how we should value the human person through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've you've hit on a lot of really valuable points there, Father. And I, I really love that, right? That it's um, in your own pastoral ministry that you see actually that need to speak from, from a pastoral position. And I'm sure there's many of your listeners, uh, many people out there who are watching this, who, um, yeah, have, have been involved in abortion in some way in the past, um, whether it's a woman who suffered or uh, the, the father of, of one of these children, um, or yeah, somebody who's been involved in the abortion industry. And, and just to say that, yeah, that God's mercy is, is for you. And I think that that's an important message to proclaim. Um, God's mercy is, is waiting to meet every heart. And, um, we're going to talk a little bit later, I think about our life fest initiative, but this is part of it, right? You know, we've lived in, in this culture for a long time that, uh, is not proclaiming the truth that every life is good. Um, and that there have been a lot of wounds that have been sustained from that. And so now is the time to heal as a culture, um, and like you're saying, you know, if ultimately at the heart of that, if, if we know that life is good, then naturally we're just going to want to protect it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but just to say, you know, it's like often people who find themselves in this, in this circumstance of, um, being in a pregnancy that is, that's unplanned or that's difficult in some way, you know, or an adverse prenatal diagnosis, there's, there's a million reasons mm-hmm. why, um, why a, a man and woman might make that choice for abortion um, and all of them impossible, right? Just impossible circumstances. Uh, but just to say that, um, yeah, that mercy is there to, to meet every heart. And this is why we exist as sisters of life. And uh, I don't know what you think, Ryan, if this might be a good time just to talk about, about why we exist as, as sisters and a little bit about our founding. Yeah, I was just yeah. about to say, uh... I loved it. You know, everybody lives, uh, what we're talking about is how we express this, right? As a pastor, religious order, but, you know, with myself, it's just having kids, you know, and and embracing them and, you know, being a father of many children because we've been blessed for that, helping out at the, you know, um, the pregnancy uh, center. So, yeah. So how do you guys live your, your charism, your, your, your life to build this culture? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking of um, a story just when, when I was first discerning with the sisters, I came to visit the community in person. And and when I came to visit, it happened to fall over two solemnities. So in the Archdiocese of New York, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day as a solemnity. And then there was a feast of St. Joseph. And um, yeah, so as sisters, you know, we live a life of prayer and fasting. So kind of a simple life. But on solemnities, we really celebrate. And so what I saw when I visited the the community for the first time was that when the sisters celebrate, they celebrate big, right? It's like everything that happens in the dining room is reflecting what's happening in the chapel. And this is part of living a liturgical life as a Catholic, which is a beautiful gift. Um, But I just saw how the sisters celebrated, right? And for me, that was just such a beautiful witness of the charism of life right? That actually to, to help restore a culture of life, that we have to live a culture of celebration, that in a yes. certain sense, we've, we've kind of lost a sense of what it means to celebrate, to celebrate things that are truly good and worthy of celebration. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just part of, part of our life, you know, um, especially with the, the moms that we're walking with, uh, who, who are carrying new life, you know, we're always having a party for something, <laughs> you know, it's like a baby shower or a birthday or a baptism or, um, so our sisters in that ministry will say that they're just, yeah, they didn't realize that they were going to become party planners when they became sisters. But, um, so your charism yeah. is partying. I love it. <laughs> do you have any, most... do you have any lay membership systems? Because I know <laughs> Delacrosse would be totally interested in this that is, type of charism. This is all of our responsibility, right? To celebrate the gift of life. That's truly worthy of celebration. Amen. So, um, so we were founded, like Ryan was saying, in 1991 in the Archdiocese of New York by Cardinal O'Connor, who is the Archbishop of New York and a huge champion for life in the American church. And um, he had been, you know, laboring for the cause of life for years and years. And he wasn't really seeing the results, you know, that he was desiring. And so he he kind of brought this to prayer and, and was sort of crying out to the Lord, like, what's, what's missing here? 
um, and he was traveling and he visited Dachau concentration camp in Germany. And he kind of had this mystical experience of prayer as he, he put his hand in the crematorium ovens there where, um, mm -hmm. where many, many people lost their lives um, in, in the Holocaust. And he had this mystical experience of kind of the, the intermingled ashes of, of Jew and Christian, uh, priest and rabbi. And he, he cried out to the Lord, like, good God, how could human beings do this to one another? Um, and that from that, that point on, he would describe that kind of as, as the place of grace from which our charism of life was born. Um, and so he didn't know anything about founding a community of women religious. Um, but from that experience, he felt the Lord calling him, um, yeah, to, to sort of invite women to live a life of prayer and fasting for life. So he was praying with the passage, you know, this, this demon can only be cast out through prayer and fasting when the apostles are asking, like, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Um, and so he said, okay, I think we need to have lives that are dedicated to prayer and fasting for the cause of life. And so he did what, what he knew how to do. He wrote a newspaper column in the Catholic New York newspaper called Help Wanted Sisters of Life. Uh, and just inviting, you know, kind of putting forward his vision and saying, hey, does anybody else feel the same way? Uh, and then inviting women to discern if this is how they were being called to lay down their lives for the cause of life. And um, yeah, so founded in 1991 with, um, yeah, just kind of a core group of members. All eight of our founding sisters who, who remained are still living. So we have the great gift of kind of learning the charism firsthand from them. They knew the Cardinal, they were there for his initial conferences to our sisters. Um, and from there have just grown. Uh, and they say that, um, that the Lord really raises up religious communities to meet the needs of the day. You know, so we know in the past, healthcare, education, those have been places where the Lord has really blessed. Um, and right now, one of the greatest um, sort of ills of our time is this contempt for human life. And so the Lord mm -hmm. seems to be blessing and raising up uh, women to respond to that need uh, through the Sisters of Life. So we are grateful for that. Sister, why do you why do you think um, that it would be particularly suited and why the Cardinal really sought out the feminine response? Mm. Um, you know, because that's that's a, a unique calling from a pastor to to call out to women in the community in New York City. And why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I think, um, yeah, that there's a particular response of spiritual maternity that exists here. And so, um, as we know, you know, abortion really wounds the maternal heart of women in a particular way. And um, I'm very blessed to serve in our ministry of hope and healing to women who are suffering after abortion. And we see that a lot, you know, that it's like, um, in a sense, in pregnancy, a woman has been invited into the journey of motherhood. And so um, in, uh, in abortion, we see that there's a wound to the maternal heart there. Um, or, you know, kind of that thought of like, I can't do this, um, when actually there has been an invitation to motherhood there. So um, a part of that journey of healing um, involves a restoration of that woman's maternity, right? And mm. for our women that we walk with who are, who are pregnant and vulnerable, that it's an invitation to embrace their maternity, you know, no matter what they've experienced in their past or what they're experiencing in the, in the present, but to embrace maternity. And so uh, there's a particular call as, as, a, as a woman who's a religious to be spiritual mothers. And so um, in a certain sense, we kind of model that, what that looks like to be able to embrace the vocation of maternity. And uh, yeah, and that's a great gift. You know, it's like, I know, um, Ryan, you said you have, you have many kids, you know, and it's like, in a certain sense, I, I know what that's like because, you know, I could get on a bus and it's like, I've spiritually been entrusted with every soul on that bus. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's my call to spiritual maternity is, um, being a mother to to everyone and anyone who approaches yeah, and, and it's, it's wild living in new york city you know people approach and they know immediately i am for them yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah no it's uh and and becoming a your maternal heart you know it's part of your journey with our lord you know with the community members um and the solidarity that you have with them in the direction that you guys are all going to that you develop your maternal heart as you begin to love others in that way you know so you exactly. just grow up to be a real sweet 
sweet mama, older. You know, <laughs> older. Well, I pray, <laughs> pray for that. Yeah. With the heart of the blessed mother, please God. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, sister, how did you find your vocation? How did you find your calling to the uh, religious life? And you mentioned that, you know, you like the party uh, atmosphere, and the, the, the joy of the sisters of life, but particularly, you know, what's your background and how did you hear this calling? And then how did this, how did the Lord guide you into this direction where you have become this spiritual mother through the work of the sisters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ask myself the same question every morning. <laughs> you know, how, yeah, how, why me? Like, how did we end up here? But um, so I am originally from Canada. You may be able to hear that in my accent. Sometimes people can pull that out. And as I say the word out, um, but I was living and working in Toronto. So I worked, um, yeah, kind of had a background in public relations and communications. So I studied communications and then journalism. And found sort of my dream job working for the church for the Archdiocese of Toronto in their public relations and communications office. So I had a great life um, as a young adult, you know, living, um, you know, great apartment in downtown Toronto. And I was a triathlete. So I was really enjoying, you know, doing a lot of sports and hanging out with my friends. And I loved like wild adventures. So backcountry camping, you know, going into the woods for multiple days, finding your way out and finding your way in. So um, I just have always had a heart for adventure. And isn't this the greatest adventure of all, you know, following the Lord. But uh, in Canada, you know, we we don't have a lot of uh, visible religious. And so I didn't grow up with with a lot of religious around. And so in a certain sense, hadn't really considered religious life as a possibility for my life, not because I was opposed, but I just hadn't hadn't really seen it as a possibility. Um, So I was kind of living my 20s. And had had sort of a reversion to the faith when I was in college uh, through a ministry that's similar to Focus. It's called Catholic Christian Outreach in Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, I think at the time of that reversion, there was something of that call there, but but it was sort of still dormant and unfolding. And the Lord in his mercy, I think, knows the perfect time when we're free to respond. So there I am living my great life as a young adult. And um, It was the year of consecrated life, I think in 2015. And I had this great idea to do this project at work where I would feature a different religious order that was serving in our diocese every month um, in either a video or a blog post for our website. So basically the plan was to make religious life look attractive to everyone else out there. Um, And then suddenly I found myself editing a video of a sister of life. Uh, We have a convent actually in Toronto and so I was editing a video of this sister and, and through that realized, oh, she's the same age as me. Um, and as I was editing this video, it was like, there was something in the way that she loved and the way that she spoke. It was totally new to me, but it felt totally familiar. Mm. And that really shocked me because I was like, wow, I think this is how my heart was made to love, but I had just never seen it before. And so that was a scary thought for me. And my, my first reaction was people like me don't become sisters. Um, but that was a lie because I was, I was spending time with these sisters and they were like me, you know, before they entered, they had hobbies similar to me. They were, they were outgoing, they had friends, they had jobs, all of these things. And so through that experience, I just had the courage to actually, well, first of all, name it to my spiritual director, which was a, a scary thing, right? Um, because then he held me accountable in, in discernment. But opening the door to just even asking that question to the Lord, how do you want me to spend my life and my love? Because uh, I was getting into my late 20s. I knew that I had a generous gift of love to give, um, but didn't sort of see where that, that, was, uh, that was meant to land. So I eventually found myself on a come and see retreat with the Sisters of Life that I mentioned earlier. And there was an opportunity to play ultimate frisbee on this retreat. And so being, being a runner, you know, I had brought running clothes. So like when they said we were playing ultimate frisbee, like I came out <laughs> decked like I was about to run a marathon and everyone's like, oh, I want her on my team. And I was like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a frisbee player. This is just what I brought. But um, <laughs> so there we were on, on the frisbee field. And uh, it's amazing. The Lord will use the most ordinary things to sort of open up a grace. And that was where I could receive. And so that's what he used. So there's a sister holding the Frisbee. We had only been playing for a few minutes and she is being totally blocked. She's scanning the field, looking for where to pass this Frisbee. 
And I yell out like, just launch it into the end zone. Someone will get it. And I'm like, I have no idea if somebody's capable of doing that. But this sister just kind of did a, a wild Hail, Hail Mary pass, you know, and just threw the Frisbee into the end zone. And sure enough, this young woman on our team made a breakaway, caught the Frisbee and we and we won the point. And as I was praying about that later, you know, back in my normal clothes in the chapel and um, that moment kept coming back to me. And I, and I thought, wow, that's how I feel about about my heart. I don't see a clear place of where my love is supposed to land. So I'm just holding on to it. And in that moment in prayer, I sort of heard the Lord say in my heart, just launch me your heart and I'm not going to fumble it. Like, I love you too much to drop your heart. And I was like, wow, okay. Like, this is safe. You know, my heart is safe with him. And actually the crazier the past, the more impossible the past it is, the more of a victory it's going to be when he receives that love, right? And and how much more wild it is when he when he makes that pass or makes that catch. So you kind of see that reflected in my religious name a little bit, Sister Beata Victoria, the blessed victory, um, that that's been part of the grace from the beginning. Um, and that he wanted to win that victory in me, you know, calling me not because I'm perfect, not because I had any particular um, skill or, or gift to give, but just because he loves me and that, um, that this is actually how he's calling my heart to love, right? And that this is a very beautiful and life-giving and fruitful vocation if you are called to it. Um, and so that's still a mystery to me every single day, you know, of, of why I was chosen for this, um, but a joy and beauty to, to just continue responding um, and following his, his will in that. So sister, they, they call me father Hanky and like, I'm my, I'm tearing up over here, just <laughs> experience, like my heart. And I forgot my handkerchief in, in my room. And, um, what a beautiful testimony. And that your name, your identity reflects that in Christ and the symbolism, you know, the depth to how Christ has met you in the depths of your heart's longing and how your heart and your love, the qualitative nature of your love has directed you to this vocational deposit. Like you're, you're giving of yourself in this charism and you have found belonging and purpose and mission and, and it calls you to trust that the Lord is going to receive the fullness of that longing and fulfill that longing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love your name. I love that testimony. And, you know, it's, it's stirring inside of me, just memories of, of my own vocational beginning. And I'm sure there's many listeners uh, out there that are discerning religious life, discerning the priesthood and, and are already living out the religious life and the priesthood. And it's probably stimulating something in their heart too. But I'm curious you know, the beginning is just so affirming and almost nearly ecstatic when, when Christ pursues your heart and he communicates in manners like that. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for sharing that part of the testimony. I'm sure everybody is deeply inspired. Like I feel right now, um, entering into the life You've said that, um, you know, the Cardinal was calling for prayer and fasting. So there's an ascetical nature to what you do and, and the austerity of entering into uh, the suffering of the charism and that component to it, particularly as it's directed toward promoting a culture of life. I'm just curious, what was your transition like in the religious life entering into the ascetical practices and what are they specifically for your order um, and your religious community? Um, you know, how do you fast? And what what was that experience like living that out as a, as a young sister? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. So I entered when I was when I was 30. So I guess I was a little bit like I had already lived, you know, sort of a, a life as a young adult. And yeah, I had really established my own uh, habits and and desires and routines and things mm-hmm. and so yeah entering religious life was really an invitation to kind of let go of some of those those things um and yeah I mentioned I worked in communications you know so I was very connected right social media the phone I had the iPhone next to me all the time and uh we don't have self personal cell phones as sisters you know we've got like the emergency phone for the house that we take with us when we travel but I don't have a cell phone and I, re- I can remember the first couple of weeks I would have like 
um, sort of like phantom phone vibration. Like I would think that I would feel my my phone vibrating, but I was, I was like, actually, I I don't have a phone anymore. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, all of all of those things are those are real sacrifices. And actually, what I've learned through living this life. So I've I've been a sister for almost six years, and um, yeah, that it's like actually there's always an invitation to go deeper in the surrender, right? So we take the the vows, the traditional vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and then a fourth vow, sisters of life, to protect and enhance the sacredness of every human life. Um, but that that third vow, obedience, you know, and um, it involves a surrender of the will, right? Which, mm. in a certain sense, you can give up. I gave up the clothes, you know, my closet full of clothes. I gave up the sports equipment and, and all of those things. Um, but actually surrendering your will is something that's much harder. And I think that exists in every vocation and our, our married friends and our priest friend here can speak into that too, right? That um, every vocation involves a surrender of the will. When you have a crying baby at three in the morning, you know, or um, a parishioner who's dying in the hospital and needs last rites, you know, in the middle of the night, um, and it's not just about late night ministry, but just, you know, there's a million ways that we're invited to surrender our will. Um, and so, yeah, merging in, of course, out of our culture, uh, we pray a prayer every single morning asking to be healed from the effects of the culture of death. Um, because it's true, we all carry, we all carry that in a certain sense. Um, and so I find that as I live this life more and more, there's always an opportunity for deeper surrender, deeper trust. Somebody mentioned trust earlier. Um, and just really like a deeper surrender of my will to God's will, right? I'm watching my will align with his will. Um, and not to judge myself sometimes for first reactions. You know, it's like sometimes God's will is presented and the interior response is like, you know, the <laughs> no, but but letting my word be yes, right? That that's mm. what this life is about, is giving a generous yes. Um, and so, yeah, what does the prayer and fasting look like, uh, on a practical level? Um, so we, we pray for about in total four hours a day. So we have mass every day. We pray the rosary every day. Uh, we have a holy hour as well as another time of meditation. Um, and then we pray the liturgy of the hours. So, uh, four, four different times a day, taking time out of our day to pray that prayer of the church, praying the Psalms of the church. Um, and that really all of our work flows from that, right? So our prayer isn't an interruption to our work. Our work is an interruption to our prayer, you know? So it's like in a certain sense, you can't be pouring out love unless you're receiving it first. Amen. And so that is always our first mission, um, just to be received with the love of the Lord of life. Um, and as women religious, Jesus, he is my spouse, right? And that I need to spend good time with him knowing how he sees me so that I can reflect that vision of how he sees others. Mm. Um, so that's our first mission is a mission of, of prayer. And um, yeah, and then in terms of our, our fasting, you know, it's, um, I mean, we have practicals that we do, you know, not eating meat on Wednesdays and Fridays. And uh, we have simple but nourishing meals. Um, but often it's, it's more of, sometimes it can be more of those hidden fasts, right? High, um, fasting from like particular attitudes or practices that are, that are not life-giving. Um, yeah, just holding back again, like aligning our wills with, with the will of God. And so, um, yeah, that invitation can come in, in many different ways, kind of throughout your day. You know, it's like, maybe there would be a time when I would rather be outside going for a walk, but it's like, okay, there's a, a woman in front of me who needs to have a conversation and I'm, I'm going to say yes to that. And then, but we do, we live our lives in a beautiful balance of being able to, um, to serve, to pray, to recreate together. Our community life is, is a big focus of our lives as sisters of life. We eat every meal together and we have community recreation every night. We all have personal recreation throughout the day. So um, just making sure that we have those, those places of, of knowing, yeah, kind of God's, God's presence with us in one another as well. So, yeah. Sheila, so, you know, I, Sheila, ahead. if I could, you know, before we jump into some very important things that people need to know that's coming up very soon, um, 
I just want to offer a comment, sister, because I've interacted with your religious community a number of times and I've seen your work and I've seen your charism firsthand. And I think everybody that's listening in and most especially viewing. So if you're only listening in, I encourage you to go to YouTube and check out our YouTube channel, The Catholic Talk Show, because seeing the light that is transmitting from, you know, from Sister Beata and seeing this religious order in action at the March for Life. Um, they just radiate so much light and joy uh, for that culture of life. They're living it. And it's interesting that it would come through the ascetical practices of fasting and prayer, a, a time where you, you're sacrificing your will for the will of God and entering more deeply into the religious life. And that's such a great example for us all to follow. It reminds me of a Latin phrase that I, I always meditate on, per crucem ad lucem, through the cross to the light. And in embracing the cross, that light begins to emanate. And it is very evident in the charism of your order as, as the sisters of life um, and the sisters for life, you know, um, in, in, in that pro-life manner, it's, it's just communicating so beautifully. And I just want to touch on, we've talked about JP2 quite a bit. He's my guy. I'm, I'm the pastor of his parish. But he expressed from the Psalm, Psalm 1611, Christ needs you to enlighten the world and to show it the path to life. The challenge is to make the church's yes to life concrete and effective. The struggle will be long, and it needs each one of you. Place your intelligence, your talents, your enthusiasm, your compassion, and your fortitude at the service of life. One of my favorite quotes of JP2, and you all do that so well, and I'm just like I'm just bellowing out like just gratitude for you being on the show and sharing this uh, wonderful content. Yeah, thanks, Father. That's a beautiful quote. It is. Yeah. You know, now kind of speaking to that, you know, we've we've talked about generally who the sisters are and your, your call, but I'd like for people viewing and listening to understand some of the more specific and concrete work that it is that you do. You know, what are some examples of how you particularly help uh, women, uh, families, uh, people in the abortion industry, you know, the people who are, are, um, you know, committing these abortions, how is it that you concretely serve and minister to these people? And is there any one maybe specific scenario that really stands out to you as something that, you know, our viewers and our listeners could really understand your charism through? Yeah, so one of our one of our main missions, we call it the visitation mission, um, but it's a, a mission of pregnancy help to any woman who is in need of accompaniment during her pregnancy to be able to choose life. Um, so yeah, our sisters who work in that in that mission, which um, which serves women all over the United States and Canada, I should mention that you know they or even all over the world. Um, but we have that mission present in a number of cities. So uh, here in New York City, as well as in Philadelphia, um, we have that mission in Toronto, in Canada, and in Phoenix, Arizona. It's our newest, our newest convent out there. Um, and that's that's a mission. You know, it can look different from day to day. They have a, a life of adventure down there. So, um, you know, a woman may find our information in various ways online from a priest, from a friend. Um, and we don't just serve women who are Catholic, but women of any background who are just needing help to be able to choose life. So sometimes they might just need something practical, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant, but like, I don't know how I'm going to take care of, of this, of this child. I don't have diapers. I don't have clothes. And it's like, we can help with that. Right. And we have a whole network. We call them the coworkers of life, which, you know, your viewers and listeners are, are welcome to join us in that way. Just helping to kind of serve women. Um, by providing for some of those needs. Um, sometimes they may need housing. And so we have um, a convent in Manhattan where we invite women to live with us during their pregnancy and shortly after um, if they're in need of like a place to live during their pregnancy and that that would be a good fit for them. Um, so that's a beautiful dynamic house as well. Um, then we have a, a work of retreats where we invite those who are kind of laboring for the culture of life to come and, and step away and receive um, the rest and prayer that is necessary to be able to labor for a culture of life. So um, these, these are all available on our website. You can check these things out on sistersoflife.org. 
so we host retreats for for women, for young women, for uh, married couples, just different people to come and come away and rest. Um, and then my mission is a mission of hope and healing for women who are suffering after abortion. And just, you know, like you're saying, we've we've lived in this this culture for a long time. There are many hearts that are carrying that burden. And again, just to say it again, like no matter how long you've been carrying that burden, if, if you're hearing this, that uh, there is hope for you and that God wants to heal that part of your, your heart, transform that part of your heart into a place of light where you know his love. And so we uh, receive uh, women in, in that journey, hosting retreats for them and accompanying them spiritually throughout that. Um, so those are some of our main missions. We also do evangelization. You may have seen our sisters at, at SEEK or at different conferences around the country. Um, just speaking on this message of life and love. So those are some of the highlights. Yeah, and our own Father Rich, he's a missionary of mercy. And one of the things that I think he does, and Father, you can speak about this, to particularly exercise that ministry is the ability to sacramentally forgive the sin of abortion and the healing that that can provide. Father Rich, would you talk about yeah. that a bit? Yeah, and this has been a pastoral provision for, for a long time for all priests to uh, forgive and, and extend mercy to those who have uh, committed the, the sin of abortion. A lot of times the pressures, you know, I, I was actually just ministering to a family that um, has ex experienced such extreme loss in the death of a child. And, um, and I've spent so much time with them that, you know, it became social in many respects. And, and we all really got to know each other very well through through all of that suffering. And even the mentality of, of abortion uh, came up topically, you know, and and um, and the pressures on society and the pressures, especially on um, on youth that are sexually active and. And this person was sharing from from their youth. They had a child that was ultimately adopted, um, but the the decision process was just so challenging for her because she was surrounded by family members, surrounded by friends, surrounded by the person who impregnated her, and and just like those pressures to abort the child were just so uh, insurmountable. And it and it really um, by the grace of God and and she really doesn't even remember how she wound up going through the pregnancy and having you know the child um, by the grace of God that child was born you know um, but she doesn't even recall it because of all of the trauma of the pressures that surrounded her her mind and and really not having having avenues of people that would encourage um, you know so we have to have missionaries of mercy that not only uh, care for people under the duress of those pressures, but also to represent the interests of the children that cannot speak. <laughs> and I'll never, I'll never forget, you know, this was many years ago, but praying at an abortion clinic, and it was hard to get into the uh, parking lot of this particular clinic. And the, the, these, two young young men and this uh, young lady that was in the back seat um and i could just see the the pain in her eyes and 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 the fear they were circling the block a couple of times and i i just like stopped the, i stopped the car i'm like hey can i help you find your way i seen that you kind of circled around a couple of times and they were looking for the abortion clinic long story short um they really didn't speak much english and in my in my broken spanish like these two boys were pressuring this girl to get the abortion and all i could say to her was like the church loves you. Jesus loves you. I love you. You know, and 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 the church, the church wants to help you. You know, and and that's all I could say. That's all I could say. And ultimately, they they left and did not go into the abortion clinic. Um, then a few weeks later, they took her back, and she finally got the appointment. She was on the on the uh, the bed in there. And and she was preparing herself to have the abortion. And all she could hear was like my broken Spanish saying what I said to her. And she got up and she left. Um, and and I think when you think about how many people um, and she shared that testimony with with some of the people that met her outside and, and were able to really kind of uh, support her through her pregnancy and and have the child and then go through the adoption process. Um, 
but we need representatives of life that are willing to go out to that extent. And there's so many people that listen to our show and so many people that do this on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and they are cooperators with this culture of life. And and I really want to encourage everybody out there to go to sistersoflife.org. Go to that website right now, sistersoflife.org, and find out how you can cooperate with this effort from their charism, but also in every single local diocese and local church in your parish right now, there is a pro-life ministry. And this is a ministry to participate in. And it may make you nervous or fearful or, you know, but taking a step out, like Sister was talking about before, and participating in the adventure of ministry and the adventure of, of being an extension of mercy, we shouldn't be going out there and, and entering into like a violent accusation of the person that's that's seeking these things. We've, we've got to recognize the pressures. We've got to recognize with empathy and compassion, like uh, the suffering of their heart. But going there and extending mercy, there's nothing more beautiful in life and and no greater adventure before you and when you have these experiences like sisters talking about and and the experience that i'm recalling now and just kind of reliving in my heart um you just you appreciate being called to the forefront of this mission and um probably not exactly responding to your question shield but receiving people in the confessional is the most vulnerable place of pastoral care that I, I love to be in. And you know that about me. I mean, I, I wish I could spend all day in the confessional and I didn't need to do administration or building projects or fundraising or do all this other stuff that I'm doing for the campus. But um, that's precisely where I want to be um, because Christ repairs the broken heart and he informs us with the knowledge of the dignity of human life. So, you know, Father and Sister, you both mentioned the pressures that society puts on people, and particularly how that can influence their decision to to have a child. You know, it makes, it makes me think of, of Jonah. Jonah had a very particular calling and a command from God, and his first instinct, you know, was almost in a, a, a contraceptive mindset to his mission. He wanted to get on a boat from Joppa and go as far away as he could to Tarshish, get away from this. I don't want to deal with it. It's too much pressure. I want to, yeah. I want to hide. Right. Yeah. Or I just, I can't deal with this, but society compounds that, you know, and when people, mm -hmm. people are called to be defenders of life and the society puts these pressures that you want to run away from that. You want to be able to go back, you know, get on the boat of your internal self and hide within yourself and hide within your own desires and having a child or supporting life is is really it's dying to your own will because you are living your life to support a new life. Um, so the pressure society puts on these women is is profound, but there's also the role that men experience in this. And and sister, I wanted to ask you this specifically that you know a lot of times you'll hear in the abortion the abortion debate that men really shouldn't have a say in it because men are not caring. Uh, children. Men don't give birth, right? But men should care. But what can men do specifically to support life? And why should their voice matter in the whole debate altogether? Mm -hmm. Yeah, their voice matters very much. And I think just to start off, I wanted to add to what Father said, you know, that, um, yeah, that actually being active as a voice for life, it can look you know, like uh, so different depending on your state in life, right? And and that ultimately, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, and you can't be that person who's who's out on the front lines, that actually just offering kind of the normal crosses of your day, mm, um, very good. You know, for for a woman who is mm. is suffering in some way or is having trouble choosing life, that is powerful, and to never underestimate the power of just like taking that next load of laundry out of the dryer, right? And, um, but whatever your state of life is, that actually, um, yeah, that you have a particular response and it might not look like what you expect. And I just know for uh, for women who are suffering after abortion, actually for many of them, it's, it's not helpful to go and be outside of a clinic because that can actually bring up um, memories that are very traumatic. And so for them actually like, being able to just pray for a, another woman in that circumstance is, is just a beautiful way that they can be on the front lines, you know? So just to never like discount what you're doing, you know, but, but yes, be bold in saying yes to that call because we all do have a call to stand for life and men in a particular way. 
um, that actually a lot of this uh, culture of death is really, we see a, a great attack on the family, right? And so something often that we'll hear from a woman who is um, considering abortion is um, the man told me I can, you know, the father told me I'm free to choose whatever I want, that it's, that it's my choice. Um, and so in that, maybe the father of the baby was thinking that that was actually giving her more freedom or making her feel more supported. But what she hears in that is that he is not here for me, right? That he's putting this back on me, that the burden is on me. Um, and so sometimes things that maybe the man might think are, are the most supportive thing um, are actually working against, um, yeah, just, just not working in her favor. And so um, men, what, what you say makes a big difference. It makes a really big difference, whether you're the father of the baby or not. Um, and just recognizing that there is such a wound of fatherhood in our culture, right? A, a brokenness in terms of um, how men are responding to the invitation to live the heroic vocation of, of fatherhood. And thank you, gentlemen, for your, your beautiful yes to that vocation. Um, but so we know that those wounds exist and that there are many who are carrying that wound. And so anything that you do in your life as a man that helps to restore that image of fatherhood is an mm. incredible gift to our culture. And again, these are not things that have tangibles. This is not something that we're going to see this side of the veil. Mm -hmm. um, but even just, you know, being patient with your kids when you're in the grocery store or going out with, you know, your six kids in public, you know, and just that that those things they matter right these little things they matter um and i loved father your story about encountering that woman outside of an abortion clinic to have a man say to, to her like i am i am here for you i love you the church loves you um, that makes a really big difference right just to know like there are men actually who who support life and are behind me in this and there's a particular um, strength and protection that comes from the heart of a man um, that, you know, I can't produce as a woman. And so I think for a woman who's in a vulnerable position, often the fear is that she feels unsafe and unprotected and that the heart of a man brings that, that spirit of, of like protection, right? And it's, again, appropriate boundaries in all of these places. But I think even just that visible witness, whether you're a man praying outside of a clinic or uh, if you're called to sidewalk counseling, things like that, or if you're just, um, we have a number of, of male coworkers who will do things like move furniture for some of our women if they have to move to a different apartment. And to have like a man show up and help her with these things that she wouldn't be able to do on her own. I can't tell you how that transforms the heart of a woman um, that we're serving just to have like someone show up and say like, yeah, I can lift your boxes and, and take them to your new place. Like I can use my truck to help you out. Um, those things are powerful and make a big difference. So not, not to underestimate your role as a man. Awesome. Thank you, sister. Now, um, before we go, I think it's really, I, what we wanted to talk about is what the sisters are doing around the March for Life here coming up just in a couple days, really with a uh, life fest uh and you can go to life everyone listening you can go to life fest 2023 and they'll put a link right here so you can go and check that out but sister tell us a little bit about life fest and how the sisters of life are participating and help making that happen mm. yeah so this really was a movement of the holy spirit you know a number of our our sisters praying and and listening to hearts um and just sort of in this uh you know with roe versus wade being overturned this year um, for so long, the focus of the March for Life has been sort of marching toward that goal. Now that goal has been achieved, and where are we now, right? And actually, what, like you were saying at the beginning of the show, what we need now more than ever is to continue to stand strong, first of all, because um, the other side is, is fighting back very hard um, in, in the wake of that legislation. Um, but that also, it's, okay, we've, we've, won this huge victory and now it's a matter of like building okay so building a culture of life and that that begins with love and so our particular gift like i've spoken about is to be spiritual mothers right and so that's the gift that we we bring to the church and so there was a number of sisters who really had this on their heart through their own prayer um, to create sort of a place where people could come at the march for life 
to be able to celebrate life. And um, yeah, just to hear witnesses, testimonies of, of different people who have been um, impacted by this issue of life, right? So um, we have different families. We have one of our sisters has a, a twin sister who has Down syndrome. And so they're gonna be speaking together. They're, they're a really beautiful duo. Um, and we have Catholic musicians that are coming. Um, and just a, a big kind of celebration of life to get people excited as, as they go out uh, to march. And we're going to be ending that celebration with a celebration of the Mass, the Most Holy Eucharist, you know, so that people are, are carrying Jesus in their hearts as they're, as they're going out. So, um, yeah, we're very, very excited about that. And um, it's so as of now, it's sold out, the actual event itself. Um, but that we invite people to join us on the live stream, or I think there's a waiting list too, if you're, if you have a group that's waiting to get in, but the broadcast will begin somewhere around 645 or seven in the morning and that you can join us no matter where you are on that live stream to celebrate life with us and, uh, to really enter into the March this year in a spirit of, um, yeah, just desiring to build that culture of life to celebrate the goodness of life, um, yeah, and that's one thing I love about the March for Life here in the States is that there's so much joy that's present there. Yeah. So just to really move in a it's spirit of, of joy as a unified body, um, saying like we we desire for this culture to be one of life. Yeah. So again, go to Life Fest 2023. You can find the live stream. You can get on that waiting list. You can find other ways to participate. But sister, we're really thankful that you joined us. And I love how you're approaching everything, even your name you know, this victory, this presupposition of victory, because Christ has already won the victory. And yeah. that shows in how you celebrate. You want to celebrate life. You want to celebrate your vocation. The sisters celebrate all these liturgical feasts. You live liturgically. And I think that idea of celebration, that kind of going from the, the positive way and having that, that really beautiful charism, it really shows. And I think more people can live to think more like that and have that knowledge of Christ's victory and celebrate like it's already been won because it has. Um, so yeah, thank you again for, for joining us here. Yeah, it was a joy. Thanks for having me on. So we want to make sure that you check out sistersoflife.org. You'll see the way to stream and connect with them in the upcoming event of Life Fest. And you could check our show notes below. We want to give a big shout out to our patrons. We thank you for your support so that this show may continue week after week as we continue to celebrate that liturgical lifestyle as Catholics. And that's the thing that some people get wrong about Catholics. You know, they think we're penitent. We're always going to confession. We're walking around guilty and kind constantly under the, <laughs> the bag of shame. No, we're, we're under the rays of mercy, my brothers and sisters, and living the rays of mercy, like you can see in the eyes and the face of Sister Beata and all of the sisters of life and the people who are living our faith, we're living it in under the gaze of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for participating in that way of life in this small way of the Catholic talk show week after week. So again, a big thank you to our patrons who support us financially. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon, and you'll see every cool way to support us. And we've got some gear to send your way too. So again, see you next week for the Catholic talk show to live out our faith step-by-step step to the kingdom of God. God bless you.